all listeners welcome to itihasa a indic history podcast and you're listening to episode 47 of the season vijayanagara in the sixth part of the vijayanagara gajapati mini series let us do a quick recap of the ending of the last episode before we continue with the story ahead the first emperor of the salwa dynasty salwa narsimha died in about the year 1490 CE without enjoying the power and position for long leaving two minor sons behind him the portuguese traveler fernão nunes reported that the salwa king left a will in the time of his death placing the kingdom under the charge of his trusted lieutenant tuluva narsanayaka for proper maintenance till his sons attain proper age and to place the better suited among them on the throne but tuluva narsanayaka had a rival in political affairs another influential and powerful chieftain timmayadeva maharasu or also known as timmaraja timmaraja was jealous of narsanayaka as salva narsimha had placed so much trust in him and gave him administrative power as well as the responsibility of placing his son on the throne when narsanayaka raised the eldest of the princes to the throne the latter opposed him in favor of the younger prince and he began scheming to push him out from his position of power and influence this rivalry was rooted in their personal ambitions which led to dissensions in the court of vijayanagara that was still recovering from the effects of misrule of the last sangama rulers with that we end this quick recap and from here we'll look at how this rivalry between the two powerful factions in the heart of hampi take shape along with the fortunes of the nascent salwa dynasty and the precariously placed empire Salva Narsimha is said to have stated the time of his death expressing his deep discontent for the fortresses of Raichur, Udaigiri and Kondavidu still being in the possession of enemies and he commanded Narsanayaka to conquer them and bring them under the Vijayanagara empire Raichur was in the possession of the Bahmani sultan Mahmud Shah II and the remaining two on the east coast were under the Gajapati occupation About the year 1492 CE the affairs in the Bahmani kingdom had fallen into confusion as Yusuf Adil Khan in Bijapur and Bahadur Jilani in Goa declared their independence from the Bahmani sultanate after raising the banner of rebellion this is again all too predictable as it follows the pattern of vassals raising their heads when the sovereign is weak after having silently amassed political and military influence at the cost of their ruling family over the entire vijayanagara season we have seen this theme repeating again and again and to this day this holds true in our modern democracies too very little has changed when it comes to man's thirst for power influence and greed now coming back to this rebellion in the bahmani empire The rebels captured a number of forts from their governors in the sultanate and became too powerful to be subdued. The Bahmani sultanate in face of open rebellion and their inability to put it down was forced to appeal to the emperor of Vijayanagara to help the Bahmanis in suppressing these rebels. Narsanayaka felt that it was the right opportunity 
to realize the last wishes of his sovereign Saluva Narasimha while on the deathbed the son of Saluva who was now the emperor was a mere boy he was placed on the throne by Narasimha so Narasimha was free to do what he felt was right the bahaminis requested vijayanagara to invade the territories of yusuf adil khan and to retain the crucial forts of raichur and mudgal in exchange for their assistance this was a much needed welcome sign to narsanayaka to recover the lost territories of the fertile raichur doa on behalf of the boy king of vijayanagara these were the very territories that could not be regained in spite of concerted efforts of salva narsimha in the past at this point in the interest of the empire narsanayaka sought to make up for his differences with his rival timmaraja and sent a large army under timmaraja's charge on raichur fort the boy king too accompanied timmaraja on this military expedition the army crossed tungabhadra laid the country waste and captured the forts of mudgal raichur and then marched on to bijapur the headquarters of the bahmani rebel yusuf adil khan meanwhile as per the plan the bahmani royal army to march against bijapur yusuf adil khan had realized that it would be difficult for him to deal with the combined bahmani and vijayanagara armies and wisely decided to deal with the enemies one by one instead he appeases the vijayanagara general timmaraja by assenting to the vijayanagara hold over the fortresses of raichur and mudgal with the understanding that no more territories of the rebel would be touched this calculated gamble by yusuf adil khan pays off handsomely as the maharaja becomes complacent and overconfident of the vijayanagara army's strategic position meanwhile yusuf adil khan marched against the armies of another rebel bahadur shah jalani and bahmanis bharit shah and finally drove them back out of his territories thanks to the lady luck Yusuf Adil Khan receives news that dissensions have broken among the nobles at Vijayanagara Royal Court. Soon he marches against the Raichur fort with a large army, takes back the fort and thereby breaks his earlier promise to Timmaraja. After this to add salt on the wound, he marches against the Vijayanagara capital itself and reaches the banks of River Krishna. He stays here for approximately 2 months on the pretext of illness. but utilizes the time to carefully watch the political situation unfolding in the city dissensions among the nobles at vijayanagara broke out mainly because of the rivalry between timmaraja and narsanayaka timmaraja had deviated from the earlier agreed military plan by proceeding towards bijapur instead of directly taking on the armies of yusuf adil khan nor did timmaraja take steps to relieve the fort of raichur when adil khan broke his promise and captured it timmaraja blundered by wasting time and allowing adil khan golden opportunities to strike back at the armies under timmaraja's command adil khan after 2 months of wait closer to the vijayanagara capital sets out from his feigned illness and marches against the armies of timmaraja in defense of his capital bijapur both of them meet on the plains near the village of manvi in April of 1493 CE Manvi is a town in the Raichur district of the Indian state of Karnataka it is currently the municipal headquarters of the Manvi taluk the Vijayanagara armies did well initially 
and forced the Bijapur armies to flee away from the battlefield and they were pursued while plundering the countryside on the way. Yusuf Adil Khan once again cleverly used a stratagem by exploiting the dissensions among the generals of Vijayanagara. He invites the Maharaja for negotiations, acknowledging his allegiance to the younger prince, who was his nominee. For which the Maharaja becomes happy, lets his guard down and visits the camp of the Sultan, along with the accompanying Raya and the important nobles of the court. At this moment, the Bijapuri forces treacherously attack the Vijayanagara contingent. The boy king is severely wounded and more than 40 noblemen were killed in the skirmish, while the remaining make it out of there. The Maharaja could only make a feeble attempt to gather his forces for a counter-attack and he ends up fleeing along with the surviving nobles, leaving 200 elephants, a thousand horses and 60 lakhs of horns of cash to the enemy. The war ended in disaster with the fort of Raichur back in the Bahmani Bijapari occupation, resulting in loss of prestige to Vijayanagara and even further widening the rift between Narsanayaka and his rival Timmaraja. Timmaraja cleverly tries to spin this whole debacle as the doing of Narsanayaka instead, since he was the one holding reins of the administrative powers. Timmaraja deflects all the blame on Narsanayaka and runs a smear campaign to undermine his authority and influence. He even hatches a plot to kill the boy king, who is the nominee of Narsanayaka, and succeeds in having the boy king assassinated. After which, he and his faction set rumours afloat that it was Narsanayaka who got the boy king murdered in thirst for power. The idea of the Maraja being, the reputation of his rival could be tarnished with the accusations of regicide after which he becomes unpopular among the citizenry and nobles of Vijayanagara, in which situation he could legitimately do a palace coup against Narsanayaka. But Narsanayaka was shrewd and politically astute enough to not allow any time to Timmaraja to enact his plan. And he immediately raises the second son of Salwa Narsimha to the throne. The second son was known as Immadi Narsimha. With this act, Narsanayaka neutralizes all false accusations of regicide against him even before they engulfed him. Narsanayaka takes a serious gamble by raising the second son to the throne though. Considering the fact that Timmaraja belonged to the Salva lineage, it was really easy for the second son of Salva Narsimha, who was a new king, to become a puppet in the hands of Timmaraja. And this is exactly what had happened. The new king sided with Timaraja and thereby only making him even stronger. Narsanayaka invariably was in a self-imposed bind as a result of his earlier attempt to escape the regicide trap laid by Timaraja. In this case, Narsanayaka was politically outmaneuvered and he had to find a way to get out of this. So one day in the year 1494 CE, Narsanayaka left the capital on the pretext of going on a hunting mission and proceeded to Penukunda. He stayed there for sufficient time till he could gather a large army, cavalry, and then sent a message to the boy king, explaining his reason to leave the capital. He explained to the king that Timaraja had in fact murdered his elder brother and took over the administration into his hands. And he demanded the king Imadinar Simha to punish the traitor for regicide. 
the boy king who was under the control of the maharaja ignored the warning and in return granted more favors to him which made narsanayaka even more annoyed and was forced into a corner he reasoned that he had no other alternative but to invade the capital what we now know as the city of hampi he marched with his armies and besieged the capital fort for 5 days obtained the surrender of the boy king and commanded him to behead the traitor timraja and send it to him as a prize the young king pretty much capitulated to the demands of narsanayaka and sends him timma's head after this event narsanayaka enters the city with his army as people welcomed him with jubilation and hailing him as a man of justice for avenging the murder of their boy king and the first son of salavanar simha however to much surprise of narsanayaka even after the removal of timraja the king emerged narsimha did not like him much as narsanayaka still was the effective ruler who refused to give back the young king his power narsanayaka at this point realized that sooner or later Immadi Narsimha, a haughty young man who was itching to be independent, would turn to be a big problem. So he ends up having the young king physically removed from the capital city and deports him to the fort of Penakunda in the year 1496 CE. Here, the young king's movements were strictly limited to the inner walls of the fort under surveillance of his trusted general Timmapa Nayaka. And with this move Narsanayaka carried out a soft coup and brought the short rule of the Salwa dynasty to an end in all practical aspects Narsanayaka was wise enough to make sure that no harm came to the legitimate ruler of the throne the king and he ensured that the due respect was shown to him in order to not rile up the public sentiment against him in spite of this Narsanayaka was bound to rouse discontent among nobles in the empire because of their perceived high-handed treatment of the king and most of the times simply because of jealousy against him for it was quite natural for powerful generals in medieval times to revolt against the central power structure either for their own independence or to capture power for themselves especially the vassals and chieftains in the distant parts of the empire those of pandya and chola lineages in the tamil country openly rose in revolts the situation hence demanded narsanayaka to go on military expeditions to put down these rebellions more or less for the same reasons and on the same routes as his master salavan narsimha taken a few years ago and his successful march over south india gave narsanayaka the same benefit of consolidating his own power and prestige and thereby legitimizing his rule as salavan narsimha had obtained in the past the 16th century portuguese traveler fernando nunes gives an interesting account of the regicide which is obviously the murder of immadi narsimha by narsanayaka as per nunes it was said to have taken place in the year 1499 ce on the advice of narsanayaka's general Timmapanayaka But this account of Nunes was heavily disputed by 20th century historians 
These historians point to the fact that Narsanayaka had died at least a year before the last Salwar ruler, Imarri Narsimha, had died. In light of that, it was obvious Narsanayaka couldn't have had any role in this assassination. Instead, these modern historians point their fingers towards Narsanayaka's son, Veera Narsimha, who succeeded his father as administrator of the empire, with Imadi Narsimha alive as the puppet king of Vijayanagara. The last official inscriptions of Imadi Narsimha are found from the year 1506 CE, which was also when Veera Narsimha had ascended the lion throne of Vijayanagara. The motive is pretty much clear here, and Veera Narsimha had the means to. All he needed was the right reason and opportunity to liquidate the puppet king, to cement himself and his dynasty as the legitimate ruling line succeeding the Saluas. And thanks to the tough time bequeathed to Veera Narsimha by his father, Tulva Narsanayaka, the empire was surrounded by enemies both internal and external. He had to face contenders to power from all sides, while facing his share of rebel vassals of Adoni, Sri Rangapatana and Umattur, he also encountered some vassals who were championing the cause of the deposed puppet king, Immadi Narsimha, who was under a house arrest. And it is here that Veera Narsimha finds the reason he was looking for, to have this puppet king eliminated for good. So in 1506 CE, before embarking on expeditions to suppress the rebels in the south, he had Imadi Narsimha silently assassinated. And with that act of regicide, the second royal dynasty of Vijayanagara, the Salvas, came to an end after a short and quick rise. And this officially inaugurated the birth of the third royal dynasty, the Tuluvas, on the lion throne of Vijayanagara. Yet again, the fortunes of Vijayanagara weren't all too rosy in 1506 CE. The Tulwa dynasty was also challenged by the splinter kingdoms of the Bahmani Sultanate that had collapsed by then. These splinter kingdoms had collectively marched on Vijayanagara sometime in the end of or after 1506 CE to subdue it once and for all. But Vijayanagara somehow prevails against all odds, against all of them in a single campaign under Veera Narsimharaya. But the most interesting thing to note is that this event of victory or the details of this campaign were simply glossed over by the Muslim chroniclers as if it never happened. Fortunately, the details of this war or the campaign comes to our knowledge from the writings of a contemporary and an anonymous writer. According to some historians, his name was Nanna Raja. And with this, we shall end this episode. In the next episode, we will look at the rise of Krishnadevaraya and his fascinating campaigns against his arch-rivals from Bijapur, Golconda and Odisha Gajapatis. I sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this episode. If you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you are listening. A huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I hope to see you soon in the next episode. Till then, this is Narendra Vikram, your host and narrator signing off. Hope you have a great week ahead.